0: Welcome to the Sunday Morning Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Worthing. This message is by Andrew Boyd. We need always to celebrate life, don't we? Because Jesus came to give us life in abundance. And his heart and his prayer, same on ours really. Lord, let your kingdom come, this kingdom of life. This kingdom where you rule and reign, this kingdom of joy, this kingdom of peace, yes. let it come on earth as it is in heaven. So we'll be taking communion today. As I'm just telling you, it's obvious, it's on your tables, right? But just prepare your hearts for that. And we are looking at our next session section in Ephesians, and that talks about God reconciling this world to himself. which we declare and we proclaim whatever we're seeing in front of us. That's what the Lord is doing. That's what he's always purposed to do. And that is what he will do. It will be. So there are going to be a few challenges today towards our hearts, really, to search our hearts before God, including a reflection on the situation in the Middle East and our own heart response to that. But let's just start by recapping on where we are where we got up to in Ephesians it's a, it's not the easiest book in the Bible but it is a wonderful book the language is dense but what we've heard so far is that we have already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ we just need to learn to release that it's already ours we need to learn to walk in it and to walk it out It's ours already. We don't need to beg for it. Every blessing is already ours. We have been chosen. You have been chosen by the Almighty who looks at you and loves you. He's chosen you. He's adopted you in his family. He has given you his name. You have been redeemed. That means that he has paid good money for you. The good money that he's paid to bring you back from sin and death is the blood of his son, Jesus. You've been bought with an extraordinary price. You've been forgiven. We've all been chosen so that our lives may reveal God's glory and his goodness. That's why we're here. If we've given our lives in exchange for his life, if, then our eternal life is guaranteed. Come on. So the key verse I would say for me from Ephesians 1 is this one, where Paul writes, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That's the call on our lives to know him and to make him known. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know, is that word again? Know the hope to which he's called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. God will not be robbed of his inheritance in the church. And nor should we allow ourselves to be robbed of our inheritance in Christ. we God lays hold of this earth with both hands. We need to lay hold of him with both hands. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. Do we believe today? We believe today? Come on, I can't hear you. We believe today. Then his power for you is incomparable. Come on. We are called to be Jesus' body. The expression of the life of the living God on this earth. That's the calling on your life and mine. Forever filled with him. You are called to be forever filled with him. Don't sell yourself short. Don't let the Lord be sold short of his inheritance in you. So that when people look at you, they see Jesus. That's the calling on our lives. Extraordinary book. So, last week we moved on to Ephesians 2. A few key verses from that. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. Transgression is a wandering from the path. It's a sin. It's wrongdoing. But even when we're in the middle of all of that, he made us alive to him. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. This is not (coughs) aspirational. This is what God has already done. And it's like this. This is you. Got this from Colin Urquhart, so it must be good, okay? Not just this. I did actually. But this is you. And what God does is he takes hold of you, Fred, takes hold of Fred. And he says, Fred, I've got you. I've chosen you. I've called you. I've redeemed you. I love you. And I'm putting you in Christ and raising you up. That's your position now in Christ. It's not just when you die. Pie in the sky when you die. I don't need that. What I need is eternal life now. It's begun already. We are in Christ already. Amen. Yes. Actually, a bit of pie in the sky later would be nice too, but we'll get that. <laughs> but we have, our eternal life has already begun. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith... And that's not from yourselves. Of course, it can't be. It's the gift of God. Not by works. No one can boast about this, that I did this. I assaulted heaven and I climbed its walls and I burst through the gates. It's not possible. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for you, Richard, to do. Good works prepared in advance for us to do. We just need to step into them in peace, be led by the Spirit, and he will work through you. This salvation, the Greek word is sozo. Got this from Kai. It means to save, to be made whole. And I was thinking about this, and it just struck me because I've got a 20-year-old rover out there. Uh, It's a bit like an old car that's just, been thrown on the scrap heap. It's not fit for purpose anymore. It's just broken, it's wrecked, it's rusty, and it's just, get rid of it, get rid of the car, get rid of the car, it's not worth having anymore. But somebody somewhere just loves that car. So they put it off the scrap heap. I'm not sure how long the Rover's gonna last, but they, so they pull it off the, but I've loved it while I've had it. They put it off the scrap heap. And they lovingly restore it to not just what it was like when it came off the assembly line, but better than new. That's what God does with our lives. He looks at us and says, well, I love them anyway. (laughs) Might not be much to look at, bodywork's going a bit, roof linings beginning to sag, but I love them. Pulls us off the scrap heap and he restores us. That's what salvation is to me. It's a priceless gift given by God. You can't earn it. You can never, ever pay it back. You just have to receive it with a thankful heart. And we receive salvation by faith. And that means we just trust in him. We receive the gift he holds out to us and we give him thanks. God holds out this gift to the whole of humanity if they're willing just to take it. It's so all we have to do, but we do have to take it. I could, I could write you a check for a million pounds, it wouldn't be worth much, but I could. I mean, you would have fun trying to cash it. But if the Lord, if somebody wrote you, somebody who had the money, if somebody had the money, wrote you a check for a million pounds, you'd still be a pauper until you cash it. That's faith. It's acting upon what God has done. That's how we get the riches of Christ, by believing it and acting upon it. Yeah. We understand that, don't we? The gift of grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. And he calls us to pass on that grace to those he puts around us. That's why we're here. Not just to receive, not just to get from God, but to give away what God has given us. That's why we're here And you have been put on this earth for a purpose, to reveal his love, to reveal his truth, to reveal his kindness. I look at you, Andrea, I see the kindness of God. Mm. To reveal his goodness to other people, to reveal him, each according to his gift and character. I mean, look around you, folks. You are the gift of God. Monica, in your new job, which thank God you love, you are the gift of God in making that place just the way it should be. Yes. Viv, your counseling, what a gift of God you are to those around. Norton, your photography, you capture the beauty and the truth and the humanity of the people you photograph. That's your heart, Norton, and that's part of the gift of God that you are to those around you. Now, these are, if you like, they're ordinary gifts. Thank God for them. Thank God for ordinary gifts. Thank God that he inhabits dust and brings it to life. Wonderful. And all of us have different gifts. We don't try to copy one another. We've got different gifts. Kurt and Angelica, what a gift you are, working in the NHS, really. I don't ever want to go to a hospital, but if I do, I want to be on your ward. So... (laughs) So let's move on to Ephesians 2 because that's just the prelude, right? So 2 verses 11 to 22, I'm going to read the whole passage. It's not an easy passage. Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, that is not Jewish, okay? And called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. And in the context of this, we need to understand that some Jewish Christians in the church at that time were looking down upon those who were not Jewish. So they would say, you're uncircumcised. You're not a proper Christian because you haven't done all the Jewish rituals. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ because what was happening was that the Gentile Christians, the non-Jewish Christians were resenting They were resenting the Jewish Christians who were resenting them. You know, the thing that we find offensive about one another is our flesh. My flesh will offend your flesh. That's how it is, right? Well, we're not called to live in the flesh. We're called to live in the spirit. So what Paul is doing here is saying, look, we've got a church which is dividing itself amongst those who are Jewish and those who are not Jewish and you resent one another. Get over it. Get over it. Because at the time, and this is addressed to Gentiles, non-Jews, at the time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. You were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. You didn't have hope and you didn't have God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near. the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made these two groups who get at one another one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity that hasn't changed whatever you watch on your news programs tonight. Thus, making peace. And in one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. What hostility tries to do is it tries to put to death the one that's aggravating it. But what the Lord has done is he's put to death our hostility through the cross of Jesus. That's the only answer to hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. He came to preach peace to the Gentiles and he came to preach peace to the Jews so that together through Christ and his sacrifice they are reconciled as brothers and sisters on this earth. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you Gentiles, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Fellows with Jews, fellows with Gentiles, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, the the big stone that holds the whole thing together. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Do we see that with our eyes? A little, not very much. Do we feel it in our spirits? Yes, we do. Will it happen? Absolutely, you can bet your life on it. The Lord said it. And in him, you two are being built together to become what God always wanted, the place where he can live. If God is going to live among us, we have to live in harmony with one another. A dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Jew and Gentile as one in Christ. Israeli and Palestinian. Reconciled as brothers in Christ. That's the promise and the hope that God holds out to this suffering earth, if only we will take it. This passage reminds us that God is, hi, Frank, that God is building us together into his dwelling place, his house. Now, every house needs a foundation, right? And what use is a foundation with a house on, without a house on top of it? The foundation needs the house the house needs the foundation we Christians need our Jewish foundations our Jewish brothers and sisters need their Messiah Jesus and they need the church together and only together we will make up the bride of Christ the holy temple for the Lord how I don't know. I can't get my head around what is happening and I can't get my heart around what is happening. All I have to do is let the Lord put his arm around what is happening. What I know is this. God will bring Israel back to Jesus. I know it. I know it. I know it. Can you feel it in your spirit? Can you feel it in your spirit? Do you carry that in your spirit? It's not a forlorn hope. Do you carry it like a flame in your spirit? It will happen. It will happen. What a day that's going to be when that happens. And God will reconcile the church with its Jewish brothers and sisters and its Jewish roots. Paul writes about this in Romans. We're going to take a look at that. And, and, and he's dealing with the same issue in all of this this notion from the Gentile Christians that God has finished with the Jews and that we are their replacement. Balderdash. I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. God always knew all of this was going to happen. God didn't reject them. Again, I ask, verse 11, did they stumble so far as to fall beyond recovery? Are they completely out of the picture? Have they been written off? Not at all. Rather, because of their sin, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world, how much greater riches will there be for everyone When both are united together and they are fully included in Christ. What a day. What a day. Now, Paul is writing of Israel as an olive tree. That's the picture that he uses. This is a tree that God has planted and cultivated that bears fruit. That's the intention. So he's talking of Israel in that sense. And he goes on to say, verse 17, if some of the branches of that tree have been broken off, and you, you Gentiles, you're, a, you're like a wild shoot. You're like a tree that's just grown up. It's good. You're a tree. It's great. But actually what God does is he takes that wild shoot and he grafts it in to the tree. You've been grafted in among the others and you now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. So don't consider yourself superior to those other branches. How can you? You're the same. If you do, then you need to consider this. You do not support the root of that tree. That root supports you. They are the foundation to the house that God is building. He goes on. They were broken off because of unbelief. But you, you stand by faith. Don't gloat about their condition. Don't judge them either, he's saying. He says, do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Have a bit of humility. And he makes, he just drills down. He says, consider the kindness of God and the sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, providing... You continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. He's talking to Gentiles, non-Jews. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles come in. And in this way... All Israel will be saved. All Israel will be saved. Come on, just say it with me. All Israel will be saved. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. Is there godlessness? Yes, but he'll turn it away. And this, he says, is my covenant with them. When I take away their sins. Thank God. So the Lord will reconcile Jew and Gentile and have one church that recognizes and honors its Jewish roots. Not by becoming Jewish, but by becoming one new man in Christ. In generosity of spirit, we will be enriched by the Jews and the Jews will be enriched by the church under Jesus, who is Messiah to both. What a day. What a day when that veil disappears and they go, Jesus is the Messiah. And it's coming and it's happening. Jesus was enriched by his Jewish upbringing. Jesus never stopped being a Jewish rabbi. That's what he was. He didn't stop. He didn't shrug off his Jewishness and all of that learning like a snake sheds its skin. Jesus was a Jewish rabbi to his disciples. Is it possible he could be a Jewish rabbi to us? You ever thought that? You ever wondered that? as well as the Messiah. What he said came from his learning and his roots. The scriptures we celebrate come from those Jewish roots, spoken by a Jewish rabbi and the Messiah. You ever thought to call Jesus your rabbi? What is he like, this Jewish rabbi? Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 29 shows his kindness, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The rabbi's yoke was his teaching. Rory, could you just come out here a second, please? Thank you. And the picture that that often, we we try and get our heads around what did he mean by the yoke and we think of oxen, okay? Well, yeah, it's a metaphor. But actually, what he means is this. This is my yoke. This is my yoke. He says, I love you, I'm with you. I walk with you and you walk with me and I'll take the weight, I'll carry it, Mm. I'll help you. You're not on your own. Mm. This is the yoke, this is the yoke. This is beautiful, this is the yoke. It's the arm of God around our shoulders. And I tell you this, why you're here on this earth is so that when God has got his arm around your shoulder, in prayer, you reach out, and not just in prayer, and put your arm around the shoulders of others and help carry their burdens. When when your heart is heavy with what is happening in Israel and in Gaza, if your heart wasn't heavy, you'd have no humanity. Don't expect to click your heels and jump. But as you feel him put his arm around you, so reach out your arm around those today who are struggling. This is the yoke of the rabbi. Thank you, Rory. Are you a follower of Christ? You are. (laughs) Then you need to understand what it is to follow a rabbi. They had a saying, walking in the dust of the rabbi. Have you heard this saying? It's a good picture. So the idea is that the rabbi leads and you follow. And it's a dusty, deserty, sandy old place, right? So when you follow the rabbi, you follow close enough so that the dusty kicks up, goes over you, okay? So that the life he lives, you live. So that the understanding and the attitude of heart that he has is picked up by you. You celebrate being covered in the dust (coughs) of the rabbi. And listen, he's walking through life. (laughs) This isn't book learning. This isn't stuff from YouTube. This is walking through life. And he walks through life with us. And when it gets heavy and hard, he puts his arm around our shoulders. Follow him closely enough And that dust will stick all over you. We learn from him. And walking in the dust of the rabbi means so much more than just having a quiet time. How many of us (coughs) lead our Christian life with 10 minutes in the morning and then we charge off like someone in a relay race has just been given a baton? We run, we leg it. We leg it until the next morning when we recharge. How is this walking in the dust of the rabbi? That's not the normal Christian life. We're to walk with him step by step. We're told keep in step with the spirit, step by step. So we must learn to continue in his presence. We must learn to reach out just and take that hand. Even in our busyness, we have to learn to do that. Let's go back to Ephesians 2. There's a few scriptures I just want to bring out. Verse 12. At that time you were separate from Christ, but now in Christ Jesus you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And it's the blood of Christ that washes away all hostility and every division and everything that separates not only us and God, but us and one another. We must not allow division between one another to spring up. God, forgive us our denominations. (sighs) Truth really matters. But Jesus was full of grace and truth. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, this is a finished work of God, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you Gentiles, non-Jews, you're no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. One new man in Christ. Not just in this room, but across the Middle East. One new man in Christ, God has spoken and this will happen. This will happen in Israel, it will happen in Gaza, there will be reconciliation. After that awful attack on Israel, I heard a remarkable interview on Woman's Hour, an Israeli woman and a Palestinian man who'd been working together to bring reconciliation. Each was concerned for the pain and grief that their neighbours were feeling the Jewish woman for the man from Gaza, the man from Gaza for his neighbors in Israel. It was wonderful. Now, please don't be offended by what I'm about to say. I do not mean remotely to give offense. That's not my heart. I want to talk about anti-Semitism. Since that terrible attack by Hamas on Israel, there's been a surge in anti-Jewish incidents around the world. Anti-Jewish threats soared by 488% on the social media platform Telegram. In Sydney, Australia, demonstrators shouted, gas the Jews. And in England, one British Jew was on their way to synagogue after the attack and was accosted with this, dirty Jew, no wonder you're all getting raped. Let's just get a bit of context in this. The original Semitic people were the descendants of Shem, one of the sons of Noah. And Semitic languages were spoken across much of the ancient world. And by that definition, Jews and Arabs alike are Semites, as are most of us. So to be anti-Semitic, is to hate yourself. But in more recent usage, Semites came to mean in the Jewish people. The term anti-Semitism was coined in the 19th century. It became the rationale for hostile and prejudicial loathing towards the Jewish people who had been portrayed for centuries as parasites and enemies, vermin. It was this racist, fear of the stranger that led all the way to the Holocaust. And some of its underpinnings came from leading Christian thinkers and theologians, much to our shame. The root of racism is the fear of the stranger, especially the stranger in your midst and antisemitism is disgust and loathing towards the Jewish people. It's not an intellectual thing, it's a gut thing, and it's a spiritual thing. It has a spiritual root. Satan loathes what God loves. And where we have any loathing or disgust for others, especially the Jews, it comes straight from the pit of hell. We must not agree with it. We must not welcome it. We must not give it a foothold in our lives. I'm talking about our hearts. I know this is true because although I'm Jewish, that was kept from me in my early years because my parents were afraid of persecution. And I, as a child growing up, I picked up that same sense of loathing and disgust towards the Jews, even though I was one and didn't know it. I know what this thing smells like. I know what this thing feels like. It's a spirit and it has to be renounced and removed. If we've agreed with it, entertained it in any way or given it any room in our lives, we must repent of that. We must never, ever agree with our our enemy. And it goes beyond the Jews. We must never, ever embrace loathing for any group of people or any race, any color or any nationality. The moment we start calling any people monsters or subhumans, we are heading down that same appalling slippery slope. So what's the practical application of this? Refuse racism, including towards the Arab people, Palestinians, or any other people. Refuse any spirit of fear and loathing because it comes from the pit of hell. If racism touches you in any way, repent of it. God has called us to be agents of reconciliation, to heal division, to break down the dividing walls, to minister his love and never to hate. We can hate sin. We can be appalled at sin and evil, but we are never called to hate the sinner. Jesus came for them. He came for you while you were a sinner. He didn't wait until you would sorted yourself out We cannot hate the sinner, however loathsome and appalling the sin. So I just invite you, invite all of us to take a moment to search your heart privately for any racism, for any fear and loathing of others. Just be honest with yourself and with God. And if you need to repent, turn around. Say sorry for hating or viewing as inferior those whom God has made and put on this earth and whom God loves. Ask him to forgive you for siding with the enemy because that's what racism is. And receive his forgiveness. It's gonna pause for a moment or two. Let God uproot this thing in you, in us. It's common to humanity. Let him tug it out by the roots. What are its characteristics? Fear, loathing, contempt, a sense that others are inferior. God forbid. And if there's any contempt even for Christians of other denominations, yes, truth is important, but we all see in part. Father, we don't believe in cheap grace. We know what it costs you. And we just invite you, Holy Spirit, to bring conviction where conviction is due Lord, just look at our hearts. And Father, if there's any smell of racism in our hearts, then may may we become appalled by the stench. Mm -hmm. We just invite you to remind us in the days to come. Point it out to us and restore us to you because this is not your will and your way. Oh, Father, please teach us, Lord, that while we loathe evil and sin, we must love the sinner. So we're going to take a few moments to pray for Israel and the Palestinians, ordinary people like us going through hell (laughs) at this time. God is calling both people groups back to Him. He's calling them both back to repentance, to know Him. So to help us pray, So listen to the heart of God in this song. You might not be familiar with it. It comes from scripture. And make it our prayer for the people of Israel and Gaza. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.